0: welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist. And my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Happy Monday and welcome to Brain Chat. It's Dr. Mitzi, your board-certified neurologist, MS doc, um, and I am so excited to talk to you about a topic that's very important to many of the people that I see and have treated throughout my career, and that is Fatigue, and um, you know, one of the things about fatigue with MS is that it's not your run-of-the-mill fatigue. So we just had a big conference last week um, called the Consortium of MS Centers, where we learned so much about many of the new um, research uh, ideas, as well as new medications coming out for MS, and Dr. Midzi is a little fatigued. But MS fatigue is very distinct from your run-of-the-mill I'm tired because I was running last week type of fatigue. And I've got two experts that are coming to talk with us about it. So first, I am going to introduce Dr. Jackie Nolan. She's a board-certified neurologist, and she works with Tanner Multiple Sclerosis Center and Tanner Neurology in Villa Rica, Georgia. So we are neighbors here in Georgia. She earned her medical degree from the Georgia campus of uh, the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and her master's in public health from Emory University. She completed her neurology residency at Grandview Medical Center in Dayton, Ohio, and a uh, MS-focused fellowship in neuroimmunology and spasticity at Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And we also have, we're welcoming back, Dr. Katil Ramahan. So he was with us not too long ago, but as promised, he's back to talk about some amazing research with fatigue. Um, And he has a quite an impressive bio, but I'll get some of the highlights here. He's a professor of neurology, clinical, and the director of the Multiple Sclerosis Center at the University of Miami in Miami, Florida. He's board certified um, by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of psychiatry and neurology with a special competence in neurology um, he has served in the national multi Sclerosis Society as a member of the Medical Advisory Board and Clinical Care Committee and chaired the Clinical Advisory Committee at the national level. Um, He is recognized for his support of MS uh, with several honors, including the Hope Award, the Spirit Award, Outstanding Physician Recognition Award, um, and Researcher of the Year in 2019 for his vision in starting a database in MS national and scope called the North American Registry for Care and Research In multiple sclerosis. Welcome, Dr. Nolan and Dr. Ramahan. Welcome to Brain Chat. Hello,
1: hello. All right. Good to be here. Thank you. Okay.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you guys so much for spending time on your Monday night. I know we're coming off of a busy conference last week, the Consortium of MS Centers. So before we get started, can we just say, or can each of you share maybe one takeaway that you got from the Consortium of MS Centers before we start talking about fatigue?
2: Absolutely. I guess I'll start first. Um, The week was full of talking about diversity in MS um, for me. And I know, Dr. Mitzi, you were very involved with with those discussions. You led those discussions. Um, Thank you again for allowing me to to do a presentation um, and discuss that. Um, But the biggest um, take home that I want to talk about um, briefly is um, MS in Black people, African Americans, where originally or kind of previously, this was thought to be kind of a Nothing that we didn't typically see in um, in our community, our black community. But we now know with recent data that is continuing to come out and showing the same things where um, the the incidents are. So the number of new cases of MS as well as the number of existing cases of MS in black people is almost equal to what we're seeing in white people in the United States. So that was a huge take home message for me.
0: Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, one of the challenges with understanding MS in certain populations is that we have not traditionally had a lot of research and data to help us understand, but as, you know, uh, groups like the MS Society and also large databases such as the Kaiser Permanente group are, you know, publishing some of their data. We're finding out more and more about the actual composition of MS in the United States. So it's very exciting. um, And I look forward to, you know, more research that's coming down the pipeline. What about you, Dr. Ramahan?
1: Well, it it was a a really, really good meeting. And it was great to be actually back in person. Uh, You know, we have had a lull of a couple of years because of this COVID uh, pandemic that's been going around. And in October of last year, we mm-hmm. had the first in-person meeting of the CMSE. That was sort of a, a teaser, half mm-hmm. hybrid and half in-person. And this one was a, a complete in-person meeting, about 1,100 plus people. And it was really, really good to catch up with uh, uh, old friends and colleagues, and 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 actually, uh, you know, chat one on one-on-one on one, uh, with a number of uh, you know really you know, in, invested investigators. And, you know, there are so many things, so many sessions that were uh, exceptional. But I would say, you know, you asked for one takeaway and I, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, but there, is, there was one study that all of us had heard about that, you know, for the first time, the results were announced. And that was the uh, DISCO-MS study Mm -hmm. which is discontinuation of MS therapies. And this was in the late breaking news. And we had always wondered about it and sometimes even practiced it without any data. Uh, The the single question they were asking is, once you start a disease-modifying therapy, do we have to continue it ad nauseum? Do you continue it till the end of the person's life? Mm -hmm. And the prevailing wisdom, as you know, is you don't, you know why mess with something that's working? You know if it is working, don't don't mess with it, don't break it, uh, just keep doing it. So there are people who are taking self-injected interferons, Copaxone, and and and, and a number of the early injectables uh, from the time they got started and, and to this day for twenty years. And mm-hmm. did they really need to do that? And and this was a study aimed at asking that question. And there is some evidence coming out of what is known as immune senescence, namely as we get older, the immune system becomes less and less aggressive, and autoimmune disorders sort of normally tend to subside in the older population. So why keep suppressing the immune system on top of that? And a very important study, um, John Corboy was leading the effort, it was a study that was funded by PCORI, First Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute. Mm -hmm. PCORI funded it. And and, and without making it into a long story, the long and short of it was when they randomly divided the patients into a group staying on their therapy and a group going off their therapy in a population which was 55 years and older what they basically found was that the the, the relapse rates um, were slightly higher when you go off, but only 7.8% more. And so, you know, the the yield from staying on the disease-modifying agent becomes really tiny and the progression is the same in the two groups, whether you Mm -hmm. stop it or you don't stop it. This is a very important study. And of course, it's not long enough at this point and those patients are continuing to be followed. So I think it'll be interesting to hear more from John in the coming, in the coming conferences as to what happened to this population because they are continuing to be followed. We need guidance at this point in terms yeah. of what to do with these patients that you have started on treatment. And I think a time may come when we may decide... That, you know, it is possible to go into what is called, as you know, drug-free remission. And I think that's sort of the holy grail. We all want to get to that point where you don't want to keep on blocking and suppressing the immune system because it has its consequences that are not as desirable. So, yes, it was a great meeting. It was yeah. a- meeting in more ways than one and uh, lots of takeaways but this is what I took away from
0: that. yeah yeah both both awesome awesome takeaways um you know and I you know I love attending our congresses and our conferences because even if it's information that I feel like I've heard before in some form I always seem to take away something new you know and I think that we're getting to the core of answering many questions that can really help us you know determine the best way to treat people living with MS. You know, now that we have more high-efficacy treatments, we always have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. Um, And we certainly always want the benefits to outweigh the risk to that individual person. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about symptomatic management. And let's go to our topic tonight, fatigue. So I really wanted to do a show on fatigue because it is one of those silent symptoms of MS that can be extremely disabling. And I spend a lot of time educating my patients about fatigue, about fatigue specific to MS, as well as educating their families, because sometimes it's one those symptoms where family members could feel like you know that person's being lazy or that they just don't want to do things and they don't really recognize that fatigue can be a symptom of MS. So first let's start by talking about what is MS
1: fatigue. So shall I go first? Yes (laughs) feel free. So you know there isn't a single person on this call who has not experienced fatigue mm-hmm. because it is a normal and a natural phenomenon. And it, it is a phenomenon where you know we wake up in the morning with recharged batteries, so to speak, and we go like an energizer bunny the, the rest of the day, and, and 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 the charge sort of peters out towards the end of the day, and we are tired, and we go to bed and we recharge, and and this cycle continues. And this is the normal circadian rhythm, circadian rhythm that has a cycle built into night and day for us non-nocturnal creatures. This is a normal phenomenon, just like you started this show st- saying that you had an exhausting CMSE, meaning you are fatigued and you're tired. It is, it's common, it's natural. When this becomes unnatural is when you wake up in the morning, not recharged, but you're ready to hit the sack again. Go back to bed. You wake up in the morning, and you're not ready to get going. And I know we all have had those moments when we don't really want to get up. You want to go back to sleep. That's not what we are talking about. We're talking about somebody who has uh, had a full night's sleep and doesn't still feel rested and 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 recharged. And and this situation where the batteries are depleted, so to speak, at all times. And that's an abnormal state. And often mistaken, as you just said, for this person is lazy. This person is not, doesn't have the drive, does not have what it takes to be successful, what it takes to be, um, you you know, to put in uh, a hard day's work. Instead, this person is lazy and 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 it is particularly unfortunately true that it the the level of fatigue does not have to correlate with the level of physical impairment which mm-hmm. which makes it even harder for a person because you know when somebody is paraplegic quadriplegic or you know have significant motor impairment it is almost like that individual has a reason why he or she cannot go back to work. But I have, uh, as, as 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 also Dr. Nolan, and as also you, uh, have seen patients who are paraplegic, who are in a wheelchair, putting in a full day's work with really no problem. If you can make the accommodations for them, they are at work at 8 a.m., they put in a full day's work as as anybody else in that office and and, and they get home and they enjoy, uh, you know, the leisures that are, are 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 common to anybody and everybody. But that's not what we are talking about. This is the person who's not having significant physical impairment, but yet has exhaustion, and completely wiped out, and the person is unable to think straight, and and unable to to do the things that would normally take a fraction of a. a a time for somebody who's healthy and not fatigued to do. And, and it spills over into other things, including especially cognition. Mm-hmm. And the, the, this is very common, cognitive impairment and fatigue, to be mm-hmm. seen in the same person, or it can be separate. And treating fatigue, and we'll get to the treatment, treating fatigue will help fatigue, but not necessarily help cognition. They mm-hmm. are independent uh what we call silent symptoms, but really are not silent. You you talked earlier about NARCRIMS, the North American Registry for Care and Research in MS. It's something near and dear to me. It is uh, one of the things I talked about at the CMSC was one of the abstracts that we had presented from the findings of NARCRIMS. We have a part of NARCRIMS called Health Economic Outcome Research. And, and, And it was a simple study that we did. It was about 800 subjects right now narcrims has 980 subjects it's, it's going towards its thousand mark very shortly but in the 800 plus subjects when we looked at their enrollment visit in terms of their um, in in terms of their employment status what we found was that the majority of the people were employed and this was a relatively early mildly affected, population because we chose to study that kind of a group of MS patients because we wanted to study the early patients because this is a longitudinal registry where we want to study what happens to these individuals over a period of time. So the inclusion-exclusion criteria was such that we recruited early MS patients. And when we queried in this group of early MS patients, what we found was about 15% of them were employed, but more importantly, almost a third of the people were underemployed, Mm. underemployed. They could not quite achieve their full potential at work. And when you queried them, what was the cause for your underemployment? Number one was fatigue. Fatigue. prevented me from working a full day. Number two was cognition. Mm. And the average number of hours missed in a week because of fatigue was seven and a half hours. So it's almost like they missed a whole day out of the week because Mm. of the symptom of fatigue. Mm -hmm. So its impact is huge. And it's also translated into their household activity. We're not just talking about inability to work. Mm -hmm. People came home, did not do their chores because it was too much to do. They were exhausted when they came home. They were exhausted when they went to work mm-hmm. and they didn't have the energy to do the laundry, to do the cooking, to right. do the cleaning and all the things that is automatically and, and, and commonly done by someone who is not a, that afflicted with fatigue. So,
0: right,
1: you know, that it, yeah,
0: yeah, and that, that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to address this topic because it is far reaching, right? So it's not just about the person's ability to work, but also their interaction in their daily household, with their families, with their children, et cetera. And in many cases, if they are able to work by the time they get home, they've exhausted all of the energy for the day. So mm-hmm. they're done, you know, now, the other thing is, you know, we don't necessarily have a specific, let's say, spot or center in the brain that we can say causes fatigue in our patients. And I think one of the other issues that we often see is that there are many other things that can contribute to fatigue related to MS, some of those secondary causes, like if they're having difficulty sleeping. Um, Dr. Nolan, can you talk a little bit about some
2: of those secondary causes of fatigue? Absolutely. Um, I find a lot of times with, with my patients that Whenever we address um, other things that could be going on in their life, we're able to kind of come down to a, a root cause or not. I won't say a cause, but um, a way to improve their fatigue without having to go straight to medications or different things like that. So I always start off my conversations with asking them what how would you describe your fatigue? Mm-hmm because there are different, there are also different types of fatigue. So we um, kind of address this a little bit, but we have the type of fatigue that just exhausts you where you can barely get out of bed. You can't, you can barely think you don't want to do anything. Um, and so it affects you kind of more cognitively in that sense. But then there's also um, fatigue where you might just be overly tired and be more sleepy, not necessarily where your body is tired, but you're just really sleepy and wanting to sleep throughout the day. So I kind of ask about like, do you feel like kind of coming to determine if it's more of a motor fatigue? So fatigue where as the day goes on, your body might just feel weak or heavy, um, or is it more of what I call a physiologic fatigue, where um, you might feel more sleepy or more tired or again, struggle a little bit more cognitively. So once I kind of determine that, then I start asking about um, things like anxiety and depression. Um, That's the thing that I I feel we don't or I don't. And I have to remind myself to talk a lot about because um, anxiety or depression, especially depression, if someone is feeling depressed, you may not that can be misconstrued as like being tired where you just really don't want to do anything because of more of like the underlying depression. So um, talking about mental status and how, how someone is feeling from that. end. so that's one secondary cause of fatigue. Another um, are things like vitamin levels, low vitamin D. We're huge on vitamin D with multiple sclerosis, but we also know that low vitamin D levels can also cause some fatigue. Um, low vitamin B12 levels. Um, Also, another huge thing is sleep. Um, You know, are you getting getting adequate hours of sleep? If you're not, why aren't you getting adequate hours of sleep? And kind of having that discussion and how that is related to the fatigue or excessive daytime sleepiness throughout the day. um, Is there any underlying factors like sleep apnea? Is it pain? That's another thing that you know, is is bigger than we thought in the um, world of MS. Um, so those are um, all kind of other factors that I always want to address uh, whenever talking about fatigue.
0: Yeah, excellent. And then, you know, I also in addition think about medications, right? You know, when we treat symptoms, sometimes we make other problems worse. Yeah. So if we're treating that spasticity, if we're treating, you know, neuropathic pain, some of those medications that we give can be sedating. So we always have to go back and look at the medication list and see if what we're doing is causing more again, you know, uh, you know, problems than it is benefits. So it can often be very complex. To to kind of get down to what is the cause of it or what fatigue we think is related directly to the MS versus what can be related to all these other things like insomnia, sleep right. apnea, medications, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we think about treating fatigue, you know, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about some recent studies that suggested that some of the medications that we use to treat fatigue um, aren't really as helpful as we thought. Dr. Um, Ramahan
1: or Dr. whoever wants to go oh, first. okay. So, uh, <laughs> go yeah. first. <laughs> so one of the other things that I want to add to what you both just talked about is the bladder. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it, 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 you know, somebody who has a neurogenic bladder, which is very common in MS, who is on the hour, by the hour, going to the bathroom, you know, not, not peeing a lot, but peeing a little, but, you know, they, they are not emptying the bladder fully, they, they go there, they, they pee a little, they come back and the urge is not gone and they're back again. They're spending the night in the bathroom and yeah. you know, you're not gonna get much sleep. And, uh, and unless and until you address the bladder uh, where they are able to get a good night's sleep, you're, you, that fatigue is not gonna go away because that bladder is controlling this individual's life. And, and so I think it is very important sometimes, you know, if indeed they are not emptying the bladder to actually institute intermittent bladder self-catheterization and and, and make sure that's an empty bladder when you go to bed, uh, might actually buy them another two to three hours of sleep or more and make all the difference in terms of how they feel the next morning when they wake up. So, uh, I you know, in, in addition to all the things, you know, You 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 talked about spasticity. Yes, tizanidine is a very sedating drug, and actually we like to use it during the night because it actually causes sleep. One of the big offenders is antihistamines. Mm. Uh, In in, we 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 use. I mean, you know how you know if you even when you don't have MS, if you take a Benadryl, how you feel.
2: That's (laughs) me. (laughs)
1: Drugged up. <laughs> yeah. it, it it knocks you out and 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 a lot of times people do not realize that when they take a tablet of soma or you know over the counter medication for sleep which people use all the time and not realize they are taking an antihistamine mm. you have a problem because mm. blocking central histamine is a huge no no in somebody who already has a problem of fatigue and ms because you know one of the things that I'll talk about in a minute is that histamine is a very important neurotransmitter for keeping you awake and alert and and there are many reasons for that and so you know people take you know over the counter medications for sleep and and next morning you, you know it aggravates your fatigue a hundredfold and it is, you know, and, and, and if we can control sleep by other mechanisms, mm-hmm. it makes a difference. And, and the other thing that I would like to mention is, you know, Dr. Nolan just mentioned about, you know, non-pharmacological approaches to, to fatigue. And there was a very nice study that was done from Utah where, this is an old study, where they took patients who were severely fatigued and randomly divided them into two groups and one group went through aerobic exercising and the other group were told to exercise, which almost nobody did. And, and when you looked at, at the end of six weeks, the fatigue scores in the exercise group was so much better mm. than the group that did not. So even though you know, it will be counterintuitive to think that exercise would, be even, would make your fatigue even worse because you're already tired, it seems to actually charge up your batteries when you do exercise. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it, you're building a certain amount of activity into your day is actually not a bad thing, actually a good thing to do.
0: Absolutely, you know, and one of the things, you know, before we talk about medications actually, um, I want to go back to, you know, talking about uh, lifestyle modifications. So when I have conversations with my patients, one of the first things that we talk about is lifestyle modifications and ways that we can combat fatigue with things like diet and exercise. And I often explain to them, you know, some of the foods we eat can make us tired. And, you know, what's the difference between eating a nice, healthy salad versus eating, you know, Christmas dinner? You know, you one, you want to go to sleep. The other one, you might want to go for a jog. You know, so let's talk about, you know, lifestyle modification and some of those um natural, so to speak, things that people can do to combat fatigue. And you mentioned one uh Dr. Ramahan exercise. Are there any others that you all can think of?
2: Um, I I was actually kind of looking at different diets um and preparing for today, for tonight a little bit and You know, that's one thing that I always get asked, you know, how should I change my diet? Is there a particular type of diet that I can do to make my fatigue better, to just make my MS better? And my question, uh, my response is always, you know, we don't have any per se kind of tried and true diets, but it's always, I always say kind of heart healthy diets, but I have been seeing kind of more information about um, kind of like these elimination diets where you're focusing more on fruits and vegetables and that way um, just things that naturally kind of give you more energy. So incorporating those things into, to the diet is one thing that I've been recommending.
0: Anything that you would add uh, Dr. Ramahan?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I think uh, there are a number of diets, as as you well know, that uh, are of, uh, of supposedly of value. None of them really tested, but it doesn't matter as long as it's a healthy diet. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it 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 can't hurt. It can help. Uh, the 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 Terry Walls diet, for example, is uh, is a is a diet that is uh, you know a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables and coloured fruit. Uh, which has a lot of antioxidants, and uh, you know the the name of her book is "Save My Mitochondria," and and for those of in the audience that may not be familiar with what the mitochondria is, it is the it is the 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 part of the cell, uh, and in the in the case of the brain, the part of the nerve cell that produces energy, and um, and 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 in fact, one of the things that happen in multiple sclerosis is the mitochondrial uh, degeneration that occurs that leads to premature loss of nerve cells and atrophy, which is sort of the basis of what we call as progressive disease. So there is a lot of emphasis on the mitochondria because the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and and one of the areas that is the target that uh, of all our investigations in fact, a lot of the current studies on progressive multiple sclerosis is looking at the mitochondria mm-hmm. to see, you know, if we can improve mitochondrial function. And if you look at Terry Walls, you know, Terry Walls um, is uh, an, and I think she's an endocrinologist. I'm not sure from the University of Iowa, where you know she was severely impaired from MS and found the thing that really helped her is this diet and of course that's the topic of this book that uh, that she has written save my mitochondria which is she feels that consuming large amounts of antioxidants and things that are healthy for the mitochondria can has make it, made a difference for her and and today she is not in a wheelchair she's walking about and, and 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 leading a very active lifestyle and she's a physician and 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 that book has got a lot of traction, and um, and 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 there may be some truth to it, but I'm not saying that anybody who's in a wheelchair should practice if they can find the same result if they adopt this particular diet. But th- there are uh, certain types of diet that do give you more energy than others, um, and also may have a favorable effect on the disease as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, and, and these are healthy diets.
0: Yeah, you know, and when I have the conversation, you know, one of the things that I'm also excited about, and I actually saw Terry at um, CMSC, you know, is that there is research looking at diet and its role, you know, I think that there's so many things that, you know, we kind of give advice about, but we don't have the research, right. you know, to really back that. So I'm very excited about some of the research looking at certain diets, as well as other interventions. I think she's looking at things like um, meditation and exercise, um, in addition to certain diets to see how those help. And, you know, I'm really excited to see how these interventions may help people with multiple sclerosis. But at the end of the day, of course, everybody's different. Um, and the general advice in the, you know, bottom line with many of the different diets is more Raw, fresh foods, less processed foods. So, shopping on the outside of that grocery store, you know, getting those fresh foods. And often I've had many people who've tried a variety of different diets. Um, that kind of you know focus on that and have done really well um, in terms of improving their fatigue so what happens okay let's say we're optimizing lifestyle modification we've got someone who's as active as they can be someone who you know we're working on sleep at night you know they've tried to adjust their diet but they're still having fatigue. What do we do in those cases, or are there any medications that can help address that, or what's the research about the medications like stimulants that we traditionally have used to address um, this issue?
2: i would say I'll let you talk about the research, but I'll br- um, briefly um, talk a little bit about the, some of the different medications that I um, I go off of. So there are you know stimulants that uh, we try, so stimulants like methylphenidate or Adderall. Um, there are also medications that um, kind of can help, I'm sorry, my dog is in the background, (laughs) medications to increase um, attention. Um, So, modafinil, then there are, although um, those types of medications are ones that I consider. Um, Also, there um, is medicine that, you know, traditionally was made to be used um, in MS to help with walking, um, um, Ampera or ampyra. And with this medication, it's not a, um, it's used off label for this use, but um, I've noticed with my patients who especially complain of a lot of um, motor fatigue or when they say that heat in particular affects them a lot, I'll try this medication with them. Um It might be um, it's beneficial for some of my patients. So it's definitely individualized again, kind of what type of fatigue are you having and then how can we best we best do it. And also when I do start these medications, I'm also um, making sure that I'm talking with my patients about using holidays from these medications. So what I mean by that is taking time off of it. So if you're not going anywhere, um, if it's the weekend and you're just relaxing at home, um, maybe not take the medicine so that your body doesn't kind of get, get used to it. Um, so those are kind of some of the key things I, I talk about.
1: And the research Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, I think Dr. Nolan summarized it well, and I, I, I think the, the the stimulants are the mainstay of uh, the the medications that we use. And of course, everybody knows about the five-hour energy drink. That mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's gotten me through many an exam block. <laughs> Many a call <laughs> night. They have fancy and, ones now. And the now Starbucks they rock stars coffee. And all yeah. that stuff. You know, we used to just take the shots, yeah. <laughs> nasty
1: shots. The Starbucks uh, night, yes, indeed. Yeah. Let's see, it has a lot of caffeine and a lot of other things in 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 there that uh, that that does it. So the, you know, the uh, the reason why I got uh, excited about fatigue uh, is. Uh, and it is the main area of my research. And and, and the reason why I, I, I got into this was modafinil. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was at Ohio State, uh, you know, uh, we we were using the traditional stimulants. And, of course, the insurance companies were fighting us. And I was on call with uh, a physician at the other end. And, and, and she was a pediatric pharmacologist. And... Um, and um, so uh, you know, at, at the end of the conversation, it was a you know, we started adversarially, you know, and then became a very collegial conversation. Towards the end, she approved the medication I was requesting for, and then then casually she said, "Well, have you thought about modafinil as a treatment for for fatigue of MS?" And I had not heard of modafinil. And it was something that was of interest for her because his area of interest was sleep. And the drug was not quite approved, but it was getting ready. It had already gone through the FDA advisory committee and was ready to be approved uh, as a medication for narcolepsy. And uh, so uh, I hung up that uh, phone call and then looked up what modafinil is. And, And it was, it, 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 appeared to be an interesting compound. And when I looked at the uh, phase three trial, uh, I noticed that of all the things that it helped, vigilance, which is one of the things that you test for, which is very similar to the fatigue questionnaires that we use, uh, vigilance was improved. So I said, hey, I should try this drug for fatigue in MS and uh, approached the company Cephalon, who was the company that produced the drug, and they had no interest. It, uh, it was like, uh, you know, uh, it's a sleep drug and, and that's where it stands. And then Cephalon also had uh, another drug in the neuromuscular field that was ready for uh, 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 approval. A phase three trial was going and unexpectedly it did not work out. That phase three trial failed. And all of a sudden here is a one product company They was scrambling. And next thing I, you know, I get this call saying, how quickly can you do this study that you wanted to do? Yeah. And uh, so we organized a two-center trial. Uh, one, The main center was Ohio State, and the other site was Kaiser Permanente. And it was a two-center phase two trial that we we did. And it was incredibly, incredibly helpful in those patients. In where it worked, it was like you gave my life back. It was uh, all of a sudden, you know, it, when it worked, it worked like a charm. Otherwise, it didn't do anything. And uh, so it was not the answer for everybody, but it certainly helped a lot of people. And you could tell in the people it worked, you know, you didn't need to, to be blinded. And, and, and you, you, you could tell in whose scores it changed. So all of a sudden, from a low fatigue score, it went to the best fatigue score mm. in, in these people. So we published that at the Journal of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and Psychiatry. And, 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 and I was scratching my head, how does this work? How does this work? Nobody knows exactly to this day how precisely it works. But you know, earlier on, we were talking about is there a center for fatigue in MS? And even though we say no, I say yes, there is. A mm. And that site is in the hypothalamus. Mm-hmm. And so think of Uh, our system in two large buckets one is our fight-or-flight system and that's the that is the adrenergic part of the brain the adrenaline type of you know you all know we talk about adrenaline as the fight-or-flight drug and you know you, you you know you you see a danger and you got to run and and adrenaline pours into your system and you have unlimited energy and you are off, you know, and, and that's one system and that's the system we rely on mostly. What is Adderall? It's an amphetamine type of drug. You know, it, it's an amphetamine analog. It's a salt. And uh, so, you know, you, you take Adderall, you will be ready for fight and flight. It is that, that, that's the system in the brain that you activate. Mm-hmm. And then there is the other system that is your circadian rhythm. You, you have the tubero nucleus and the tubero-mammillary nucleus con, you know, decides you know, whether there is a sunlight coming into your, into your room or not. You wake up at the time when the biological clock wakes you up. And so the suprachiasmatic nucleus is your master clock. And then there are a number of other sub-clocks and when the tuberomammillary system fires, it activates, uh, actually, when the suprachiasmatic nuclear fires, it activates the tuberomammillary bundle. And the main chemical of the tuberomammillary bundle is histamine. histamine. And the entire histamine brain is 67,000 nerve cells on either side of the brain. And that Tiny, tiny, tiny part if you think it sounds like a huge number, 67 thousand is a drop in the bucket for compared to the billions you know that are in the brain, the large numbers you know consider considering we lose a hundred thousand nerve cells a day. Hmm. Every single day, as we sit and speak, you and I and everybody on the, in this audience is losing a hundred thousand nerve cells a day. And that's the rate at which we atrophy our brain, which works out to 0.1 to 0.5% of our total brain mass. Uh, so that's not something that you and I can correct. That's, that's sadly the, the aging process that cannot be stopped. And that, that, that whole thing continues. But anyway, the tuberomamillary system with 67,000 nerve cells on either side secretes histamine when the, when the master clock says, wake up and you gently wake up to the day. And that's the system we need to activate. And that's the area that I'm working on. So that's what I was talking about. Don't take antihistamines that block you because that's adding insult to injury. When you have a system that's already messed up there. And and it's not easy to increase the brain histamine i can give you all the histamine in the world it'll only thing it'll do is make you cough and sneeze and 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 have all the allergic things that you're used to associated with histamine and and you know how you know the allergic system is mediated by the histamine in the mast cells and the histamine also mediates the acid secretion in the stomach you have the h1 and the h2 receptors there's also an h3 receptor in the brain mm-hmm. and you know so it, it's, it's, it's a long, complicated answer that I'm giving you, but the, but, but the point is there are two systems. One is the fight-and-flight system, which is what we use today to uh, combat fatigue in MS patients. It's unpleasant. You ask a patient who's taking Adderall, you know, it increases anxiety. It increases your heart rate. It, it, it doesn't allow you to sleep. It has anorexigenic effect, which some people like. Of course, you lose weight. But, you know, it's Mm -hmm. so all the things associated with the drugs that we use are generally unpleasant, but it gets them through the day because they can now work with with, with this drug. Mm -hmm. And, And as Dr. Nolan said, it is good to give a drug holiday because you have this phenomenon called tachyphylaxis, which is when you keep taking the drug, the drug becomes less and less and less and less effective, and all adrenergic drugs have that problem that as you stay on the drug it you know what was good today is not good a month from now, so right. just like she said tell take you know tell them to take it Monday through friday and and if the Saturday and Sunday is something that you can sleep in and not really worry about the thing you know don't take it, then Monday the drug is more effective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 these other things, so the short answer is I know I gave a long winded answer, but the short answer is, yes, there are these drugs that can get through get you through the the day, and those are the fight and flight part of the brain, and I think the drug of tomorrow is going to be drugs that increase brain histamine, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of choices that are coming our way
0: so I have a question as a um a severe allergy sufferer, you know, living in the South uh, with lots of trees and pollen and all kinds of grasses, you know, many of my patients do take h- antihistamines also um, to deal with their allergies. So um, how would that be affected, you know, for those who need antihistamines? Um,
1: uh, so, on do regular not, basis? Yeah. so do not take an antihistamine that crosses the blood brain barrier. Mm. So, you know, Take uh, uh, blocking the name, uh, you know the uh, Claritin. Claritin is a is a good example. It you can it it will block the histamine receptors peripherally. It has no access to the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know there are a couple of these type of drugs that have that does not cross the blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. Those are the drugs that I would use. I would Mm -hmm. not use uh, uh, any any of the potent antihistamines because that's what you know we use to induce sleep and Mm -hmm. in somebody who doesn't have fatigue it's not a problem Mm -hmm. Uh, but in somebody who has fatigue when you take an antihistamine that and and if you talk to your patients that have allergies sadly a lot of those patients are taking regular antihistamines Mm -hmm. because they can't do without it because you know allergy can be a huge. <laughs> I cannot.
0: <laughs> Especially yeah. in the times of COVID when whenever you sneeze, everyone is looking like,
1: yeah. I'm yeah. like,
0: it's my allergies, I promise. And they're like, yeah, right, it's your
2: allergies.
1: Yeah, so. No, yeah. It, is, it is true. And and of course, there is also another side to it, which is the NMS. We are always trying to cause a Th2 immune response, as you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, what does the allergist do? He wants to change it from a Th two to a Th one. To a Th <laughs> <laughs> one. So sounds so that's like the, We need to conflict. sit down with the allergist yeah. and figure it out. Yeah, Definitely, you know. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so
0: much for sharing that amazing research. So I really look forward to hearing more about that. You know, I'm always fascinated, you know, by the symptom that you know affects so many of our patients, and you know, we can't seem to wrap. You know, our brains around it in terms of, you know, I can't point to which lesion is causing it necessarily, but we know it's affecting your daily life. And, you know, as you mentioned, we can see it even very early on in diagnosis because we used to think that it was just associated with the volume of lesions that you obtain over time, but it can happen very early um, and it can get worse over time. You know, so we're kind of coming up to the end of our time. And what I'd like to do is, you know, always on Brain Chat, I love to leave people with um, some empowerment. Empowerment, you know, something that they can do to help themselves. So what are some tips that you would give to people with MS who are dealing with fatigue, or even some questions that they, you know, can ask their doctors, you know, to help deal with uh, the fatigue that they're combating and improve their quality of life?
2: Um, I think the first thing is to be very mindful of your body. You know yourself and you know your body and the way that you should feel or how you want to feel better than anyone else. Um, So making sure that these, even making notes um, of, okay, well, you know, I'm noticing that I tend to be more fatigued during this part of the day or this time of the day. And taking all of that information with you, when you go to your neurologist to go over that, that is what really helps us to um, formulate, um, a, a, I guess, a plan of care with how we can best help to um, maintain your fatigue and um, help you to overcome that. So that's always the biggest thing for me, is just come with a plan or go with a plan when you go to see your neurologist.
0: What would you say, Dr. Ramahan?
1: Um, oh, absolutely. I, you know, it, it, good healthy living is is part of MS as well. and 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 that includes a, a proper diet and, and and everything in moderation uh and 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 of course getting your uh eight hours of sleep and 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 if it is if you're not able to get that eight hours of sleep try to identify the causes uh, you know do you have problems with sleep apnea do you need to have a weight loss issue uh you know do you have a bladder problem you know are you taking medications for sleep that can actually mess up your uh, next day, not realizing uh, that the medicine you took tonight to get a good night's sleep also ha- leads you into a hangover, so to speak, the next day because you wiped out the, the histamine in the brain. And, and so everything in moderation and exercise and exercise. Yeah. So a proper diet, good sleep, exercise. These are, these are healthy things for anybody. And, and I think it should be stressed even more so. MS patients.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, you know, um, those are things that help MS, any chronic condition, but also help your brain. Brain health is something that we talk about a lot. You know, and the piece of advice that I often give my patients is to listen to your body. We live in a society where we say, no pain, no gain. You just keep going till you pass out. And what I tell my patients is that if you have MS and you do that, you're gonna pay for it on the back end. So if your body is telling you, you need to sit down, sit down, you know, if you need to ask for help, it's okay to ask for help, you know, so that you, we rather you do a little bit every day than to do a whole lot one day and then be out of it for four or five days. So, and, you know, a lot of it is,
1: yeah. Go ahead, and, and, and sometimes, you know, we need to make accommodations at work. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the good things that has happened because of COVID and people working out of homes mm-hmm. it's something that i've heard from my patients that you know what i take a little nap in the afternoon and it's, Naps okay, you know and i take that break and it makes me allows me to do that whereas when i was going to the office i couldn't do that but now i just basically you know have a a a, a nice lunch and and a and a little nap and i'm a different person and 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 i think that's one of the pluses that has happened and and sometimes we do tell the employers that this is a real symptom and a real problem. Please make an adjustment for this individual.
0: Absolutely. So takeaways are know your body. If you're not getting that sleep, let's try to get to the bottom of it with your healthcare team. Make sure you're eating a healthy diet and getting some exercise in. Ask for help if that is help with your family with home responsibilities or work accommodations and take a nap. And with that, uh, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us for Brain Chat um, I'm Dr. Missy Jo Williams. I want to thank my wonderful guests, Dr. Nolan and Dr. Ramahan for sharing their expertise. Hope that you all learned something about how to combat fatigue with MS. And I look forward to seeing everybody in two weeks for our next episode. Thank you so much. And everyone have a wonderful Monday evening.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you.